0: Yogi Berra is one of Major League Baseball's all-time greats, a catcher who hit 385 home runs, a three-time MVP award winner, and a 15-time All-Star. He was also a beloved personality who made good money as a pitchman for everything from yoo to Puss in Boots cat food. But in 1941, Berra was just Lorenzo Berra, better known as Lottie, a 16-year-old St. Louis kid who just loved baseball. His Italian immigrant father wanted him to grow up, get a real job. Pietro Berra had already convinced two of his older sons to quit promising baseball careers for work at a back- at a bakery and a shoe factory, respectively. The Berra parents brought in the priest at St. Ambrose to mediate with their obstinate fourth son. The priest agreed he should probably give up baseball. He didn't, and the story of why and what happened next is the focus of John Pessa's new book, Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask, and the author is here today to talk to us about it. John Pessa, welcome to the show.
1: Uh, hi, Sarah. How are you today? So
0: you set the scene so perfectly back in 1941 when Lottie Berra's father didn't want him to play ball. But it wasn't just his father who thought he had little potential in baseball. It was also the Cardinals general manager, the great Branch Rickey. How did this kid come up short in Rickey's estimation?
1: You know, uh, this story was told to me by Red Shandings, who was the Hall of Fame uh, infielder for the Cardinals and, and the uh, Pirates. And he was at a tryout. There were a couple of thousand kids. They got it down to eight kids. Um, he couldn't remember uh, the other five, but the three were himself, Joe Garagiola, and Yogi Berra. And it came to Red to pitch to Yogi, and he said he he couldn't get a pitch by him, and the sound of the bat hitting the ball was was harder than anything that he'd ever heard before or since. Hmm. And he thought he was a cinch to be signed. Um, but Branch Ricky looked at, you know, he had... He was he was acknowledged as the best talent judge in baseball and one of the things that he was supposed to be able to do was to look at a 16-year-old kid and project what he would look like as an adult and baseball is pretty hard to pick teenagers Um, who are going to project into being great baseball players. And Yogi Berra was a terrific athlete put together with what looked like spare parts. Um, (laughs) good spare parts, but stubby leg, the torso of someone who was six foot two, long arms, uh, thick shoulders that hit his neck. And Ricky just didn't think that he looked like a baseball player. (laughs) And he, and he literally told them, he said, son, I'm telling you this for your own, uh, for your own good. I don't think you're anything better than a AAA baseball player, and we're looking for, uh, for kids that can go all the way. What a mistake. And what, he didn't make many, but that was a big one.
0: <laughs> so it wasn't just Branch Ricky who didn't see the potential here. Um, his Italian immigrant family, they were down on this. You had a great quote from the priest at St. Ambrose, who I, I hope this quote is actually 100% accurate because it's, it's just too good. What you are doing is beyond all reason. No wonder your good mother and father are afraid you're going to turn into a bad boy. Baseball, I guess at that point, was not considered a path to, to greatness.
1: Not to, not, not to Italian immigrants um, on the Hill. Uh, both, both, uh, Yogi's father and Joe Garrigo's father came, came from the old country and didn't understand baseball, didn't understand the grip that baseball had on their sons. And Yogi, actually Yogi had three older brothers that were all good ball players and Yogi to his dying day, Said that his oldest brother, Tony, was the best player. And I was lucky enough to meet three men on the hill who uh, were Yogi's contemporaries. Two of them lived on Elizabeth Avenue with Joe and, and Yogi, of course, then called Lottie. And um, they just, uh, you know, they, they couldn't, um, the, the fathers couldn't understand baseball and thought games were for kids and you 're a man, you go to work, and as you said the older the oldest brother in a bakery, the middle brother uh spent his time uh working on uh, shoes and the women 's shoe factory and as young as uh the third brother was a um a waiter at regggirio's until hmm. later on came to, came east with Yogi to run the Phil Rosito yogi bar bowling alley
0: hmm.
1: and uh so uh it took a lot of convincing. Um, And Yogi was, you know, when when others didn't see the path to success, Yogi insisted he was going to be a great, you know, a good baseball player. And he turned out to be a great baseball player.
0: So one of the things about this book, you tell that story so well, and it's also just such an enjoyable book for people who are interested in St. Louis history, because you really get into the culture of the Hill, what it was like in those days. um, And you get the sense that just being a part of that group of kids on Elizabeth Avenue, this must have, have shaped him into the ballplayer that he was, that he and Joe Garagiola just got better and better because they had each other as competitors. Do you think he would have been who he was if he hadn't had this really talented baseball player just right across the street?
1: I'll tell you, I mean, him and, you know, Joe used to say that there wasn't a day that uh, that he didn't know and, and be best friends with Yogi Berra, uh, which was true hmm. um, until their, their dying days. And um, that certainly pushed uh, both of them but they they loved even though they grew up in the uh, during the depression um, uh, it was you know a, a a neighborhood full of kids they were always playing baseball or football or soccer um, and they just they they loved their life i mean when I talked to as i said the three men uh, charlie river um, Quinn. Gar- Gara Baglia and Vince Dermundo I'm sorry if I hope I pronounce all of those uh, well those are some great and, Italian uh, names right there uh, yes and they they just said you know we uh, their fathers all worked in the in the mines and the clay factories in St. Louis um, it was they were working poor. Um, they never went without but they never had more. Uh, you know, any more than they needed. In fact, one of the great stories that I was told was about the boys uh, following after the, uh, the the truck that went from the market to the dump where it dumped all the the rotted fruit and vegetables. And they would get their pen knives out and they would carve out uh, uh, parts that were still ripe, and that would be their jewel for the week. Hmm. Um, so it was a very different life, but they all grew up. They said they all grew up happy um they played ball all the time and i think that's what really instilled not just the you know the the athletic talents but but the kind of values that yogi had all his life i think you know came from that camaraderie and that feeling that nobody was better than anybody else and we're all in this together type of feeling that it, that there was on the hill hmm.
0: so when you talk to people who knew him on the hill they all knew him as lottie when did he become the famous yogi
1: well actually this this comes this is the this is part two of the Brent Rickey story. So he leaves. He, uh, Joe Garagiola leaves and goes to Springfield to play ball. And Yogi plays American Legion baseball, uh, which is the best amateur baseball in, in the country. And, in fact, uh, the Depression had kind of wiped out high school baseball because kids went off to work. Hmm. And um, a kid named Bobby Hoffman um, from St. Louis— who ends up becoming a utility infielder for the New York Giants uh, later on, uh, a whole group of them go to see a, uh, a movie. And in those days, movies also um, came with newsreels. And there was a newsreel on uh, India, and they saw a bunch of yogis sitting the same way that Lottie Barris sat before he went up to bat, with his legs crossed and his arms crossed uh, across his chest. And, and Hoffman just turns to him and say. I'm going to call you Yogi from now on. And for whatever reason, it stuck. And what a blessing for an average, for someone who made a lot of money as an advertising person. Um, everyone knows who Yogi is. If you said Larry Barrett, I'm not so sure that it would have been quite as catchy.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a great name. It, it's one of those unforgettable things you hear at once, and, and you can immediately sort of bring to mind the man.
1: Uh- Absolutely.
0: But when it comes to his appearance, you know, Branch Rickey kind of wrote him off as didn't really look like a ball player. One of the big revelations in this book for me who didn't live in this era, um, the fans and even other players were positively vicious about his appearance. You had some some shocking examples of this. Uh, tell us what some of these things they were saying if if you can repeat them on the radio
1: sure it was it was pretty stunning to me number one i didn't understand how much discrimination uh, italian americans um felt in the 30s 40s 50s and even into the into the 60s and beyond um but they also uh, – people made fun of Yogi's appearance about uh, calling him uh, – once he made it to the major leagues, uh, he was the captain of the all-ugly team. <laughs> um, players would hang from the uh, – the opposing players would hang from the dugout with, with one hand and scratch under the other uh, arm, uh, making like a monkey. Um, his own manager called him the ape, not, not, not as, a, as an insult, but I think that that almost made it worse for Yogi, that these were his friends and they were also um, using these kind of terms. And the one that really struck me was um, Peel's prize winning New York Times columnist Arthur Daly wrote a column, many columns on Yogi. But in one particular column in the early going, the headline on it was Nature Boy. Mm. So he was called Nature Boy, Ape, uh, Quasimodo. Um, and what's, what really uh, amazed me was that somebody who endured that much abuse and that lasted, you know, the questioning of his look and the questioning of how smart he was, that lasted all the way through his managing career into the, into the eighties, uh, 1980s. And you would think that that kind of experience would turn you into a bitter person. And there was no less of a bitter person than Yogi Berra. I and mean, he was mm-hmm. just happy and, and open and, uh, and welcoming.
0: You also tackle this idea. you know, he kind of had this this twisted relationship with uh, the English language. A lot of people thought he was dumb. Was he dumb?
1: Well, I'll give you two two reasons to say absolutely no. One, the, guy, um, the man made a lot of money as a businessman. He gave stock advice to other players on the Yankees. Um, he knew his worth, and he got every penny from it. Hmm. Um, you can't do that and be dumb. But uh, one of the things that really struck me, I mean, the catcher is the most complicated position on a baseball field. And the catcher has to know what every single player is going to do when the ball is hit. No matter where it 's hit, but he also has to handle the most high strung people on on the team um, called pitchers and and to be able to and to get um great results day in and day out cuz Yogi caught almost every game hmm. uh which was amazing um to be able to to um reach uh these these players and to psychoanalyze them and to get them in the proper frame of mind and trust me I played catcher it's not an easy thing to do and he did it exceptionally well Hmm. So, so no, I don't think Yogi was by any stretch a, a dumb man.
0: And you mentioned that this really bothered his wife, Carmen. She didn't like that people didn't always take him seriously. And she, you know, their love story is, is just this great part of this book. Tell us about how they first met. As a St. Louisan, I love this story.
1: Yeah, I, I'll tell you. It's uh, So Yogi is uh, a rookie in 1947 and... Um, he, he's an instant star and the Yankees win the world series and he comes back home. And now, um, he's still hanging out with his friends from the, from the hill, but he's also playing golf with Stan Musial and with Biggie's from Biggie's Steakhouse. And, uh, one day in the early fall of 1947, he walks in with Biggie into the restaurant and he's sitting down in Yogi, um, had not uh, dated all that much, had dated two pre- girls previously and just was not somebody who was all that interested, and he looks across the room and he sees Carmen Short, um, a beautiful young woman from um, uh, Howe's Mill, which is about 125 miles from St. Louis, and he begs uh, the, uh, the, the owner of the uh, restaurant um, to introduce them. And when they uh, when one of the owners went over to Carmen and said I'd like to introduce a a ball player, the only ball player she knew was Terry Moore. Um, the name and he was he looked nothing like Yogi, but he was also married. <sighs> so Carmen was insulted that a married man would try to ask her out. And they assured Carmen that no, 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 He's not. He's not married. He's a young ball player with the New York Yankees, and they started going out. And uh, Carmen's sister Bonnie, who's four years younger, lived. They lived together at this time in St. Louis. Um, became a terrific source and, and, and a good friend. Uh, told me that it was uh, uh, not very long after that. Uh, Carmen stopped seeing, in her words, the college humps that she had been going out with and just uh, fell in love with Yogi. And um, they were engaged um, in July of 1948 and, and married in January of 1949 and mm-hmm. stayed together for 65 years.
0: Yeah, it's hard to imagine a baseball player doing that today. I'm, I'm sure there are many who do, but that seems like quite a remarkable long run there.
1: Well, I'll tell you a real quick story story about that. There's an outfielder named Brett Butler, who I met during, during my first book, and he's running a program to counsel um, ballplayers um, towards mm. the end of their career and to help them with their marriages, because he told me that 80% of baseball players get divorced when they retire. Mm. So, yes, it was a, a remarkable marriage.
0: So you also deal with Yogi's life as a father, and I got to admit, I mean, he does come across as just such an endearing person. But I cringed uh, when I read the part where his son Dale asked him to play catch, and he said, that's what you have brothers for. What kind of father was he overall?
1: Well, you know, Yogi played— um, 19 years of, of baseball, and then went right into managing and coaching. And he didn't take a uniform off until he was 65 years old. Mm. So for for the entirety of his sons' three sons' lives, he was always away. He was either on the road or he was sleeping before getting up and going to the ballpark um, for the home games. So he he really was, for the most part, an absentee father. Um, by by definition of his job and and actually um you know, I think the absence uh, there was, was I know was that he felt great. Um, that his kid started a business in 1992 to market yogis' uh, memorabilia and his image and handle all of his card shows, and he spent um, way he spent a lot, a lot of time with his adult son. So mm. the time that he didn't have on the front part, he was able to enjoy on the back end.
0: Well, that's great. So he made up for some years that were maybe some benign neglect. Um, and and Carmen, obviously a great mother. It's not like these kids were, were being neglected in any clinical sense of the word. But yeah, uh, an absentee father there for a while who made up for it. I did want to ask you about one other thing, though. At the beginning of the show, uh, we talked about Yogi's father trying to talk him out of playing baseball. I thought it was fascinating that when his oldest son, Larry, was eligible for the professional baseball draft in 1968, Yogi and Carmen both said no. Um, why was that?
1: Well, um, Carmen told Larry that uh, she she was she thought that he would be the 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 most likely of the three to uh, to go to and finish college. Hmm. And you have to remember the time. I mean, I was uh, Larry is two years older than me, three years older than me, and I was the first in my eight. I was the first in my family to go to college. So going to college back then was something that now is you know for a, a good chunk of the country is taken for granted but back then um, it it was it was something special in Carmen and yogi obviously didn't get to college and and Carmen wanted her sons to be um, to, to be educated hmm. and um, and Larry you know the minute he was able to uh, turn pro, which in those days, now it's at 18, but in those days it was 21 before you could accept a contract from a from a major league baseball team. And the day that the day he turned 21, he applied for the draft.
0: Do you think there was um, some irony there that you know they they wanted him to get to go to college? It was obviously a great intention, but he kind of ended up uh, blocking his kid's professional baseball career for the best of intentions.
1: Uh, yes, and, and to tell you the truth, I really think that that, that, that was primarily Carmen, and that Yogi, Yogi went along with, uh, with, what his, uh, with what Carmen said, but Carmen was dead set. Carmen was a very sharp woman, prized education, um, did a lot of charity work um, in, in New Jersey to raise money for, for educational purposes, and uh, he, he was just dead set on, on her son going to college.
0: Well, it's, it's a fascinating story, and this book is such a good read. And, and, John Pessa, I want to thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, Sarah, it's been a pleasure. Anytime.
0: This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU.